This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey everybody, today's guest is Fee Waybill, lead vocalist and songwriter for the San Francisco, California rock band, The Tubes. Together we take a look back almost 40 years into the rearview mirror and break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their top 10 U.S. hit, She's a Beauty, taken from their 1983 album, Outside Inside. Fee tells an amazing story of walking through the seedy underbelly of San Francisco known as the Tenderloin and how this inspired the lyrics to the song. Fee was equal in praising both Toto's Steve Lukather, who wrote and played guitar on the track, as well as producer David Foster, whom he credits with dialing in the arrangement and all the nuances of the song. What an interesting band and story. I told Fee that had my band existed back in the early 80s and we had ran into the tubes, we would have been fast friends. Their shows were kitschy bursts of slapstick comedy, all thrown together on a shoestring budget, something I can completely relate to. Oh, and be careful what you preach. The tubes always flew the flag of doing their songs in the original keys they were recorded in, something that Fee says has gotten a bit challenging as the years have wore on, but I'm happy to say they've never faltered on that promise. Very cool. For all this and a whole lot more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Fee, how are we today? I'm good, Chris. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. Where where am I talking to you from? I live in Los Angeles, in the hills of Los Angeles. Very nice. Very nice. Where do you live? I live in the foothills of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh. <laughs> I'm in different hills over here than where you're at. I, I'm down with Tennessee. That sounds good to me. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a lyric right there. Well, I, I'll tell you, Fee, man, I have went back and taken a crash course in the Tubes catalog. And you guys just uh, have some gems of songs. This has been been uh, so cool for me leading up to, to talking to you. Your first record was released in 1975, the self-titled album, The Tubes, uh, with the underground hit White Punks on Dope. Four more studio albums followed and a live album. Uh, The band released Outside Inside on April 4th, 1983, which contained the smash hit, a top 10 U.S. hit, She's a Beauty, they're going to be talking about uh, today. And uh, the album was the band's second release on Capitol Records, as you were previously on A&M. So can you take us back uh, to to 1982-83 when you wrote She's a Beauty? I lived in San Francisco at the time. We We started the band there. And uh, I wrote the lyric first, the most of the lyric first. I really didn't have the title first. But in San Francisco, there's kind of a, a red light district. Okay. You know what I mean? Like kind of the, where the prostitutes are. And it's the seedy kind of part of town. And it's called the, the Tenderloin. That's over by the Warfield. Exactly. Exactly. Down near the Warfield and Market Street. Right. That's a pretty, uh, pretty crazy area to this day. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's getting more and more crazy. And so we were staying. I So at the time, gosh, I don't even know why I was there. We used to play this club called Great American Music Hall, of course, which is right next door to a, a strip club. And I, I was walking around town. I don't know. We were doing, we were playing the club, and I was it was lunchtime or sound check or something like that. And this was, gosh, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was before we were on Capitol. I think when we were still on A and M, because I had the lyric for a long time. And I'm walking around the Tenderloin, right? And you know, in between sound check and or I don't know, they're setting up stuff or I don't know, I don't remember. And there's a they used to have these things they don't have them anymore but they used to have these little uh like in front of a a massage parlor you know like a like a happy ending massage parlor 
And, uh, <laughs> and there's a, like a kiosk. It's like a, a like a imagine a telephone booth outside okay. of it, right? But it's got no windows. It's all solid, right? And it's got a sign across the top of it. It says, "Pay a dollar, talk to a naked girl." Okay, and I had never seen one before. And uh, pay a dollar, talk to a naked girl, and I'm so, you know, I'm single. I'm I'm a young man, young single man. And I thought, okay, well, yeah, I'll go for that. And so I put a dollar in it, and the front window comes down, the front wall comes down, and inside is this gorgeous girl, thin, gorgeous, young. And she's got like a negligee on and and she starts taking her clothes off and she starts talking, you know, hi, honey, you know, and how are you doing? And, you know, why don't you come into the massage parlor? We'll really take care of you and blah, blah, blah on and all kind of all kind of hooker speak. And uh, and then before we actually get to any nudity, the wall goes back up. <laughs> So, so this is just to chum the waters. This is right. just the bait outside of the, right. the actual joint right. itself. This is a teaser. And, okay. and you know, <laughs> so I put another dollar in and the wall goes back down and she continues to start to strip, you know, and I'm going, you know, and I'm, and I'm a naive guy. I'm an innocent at that point. I'm, you know, I'm an innocent young man. I, hell, I was just what, 30 years old then. And I'm going, you know, gosh, I said, you're way too pretty. You could be a model. You're way too pretty to be doing this, selling your body and doing this kind of lame ass tease shit. And, you know, why don't you, why don't you quit that? Why don't you be in the tubes? I'll hire you. You know, we need, we need another tubes dancer. Can you dance? You know, and I'm asking all these kind of lame ass questions and she doesn't, she's, completely ignoring me and she's just at work and she's just right she's just going oh come on honey let's uh, let's do come on in and i'll take care of you and i'll blah 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 and before i we get to any you know and i keep talking and i guess each time it it's was, it was like a minute or something before the wall goes back up and so before we actually get to any nudity at all the wall goes back up and, <laughs> And, you know, and and I just went, OK, well, this is a uh, exercise in futility here. This she's she's, you know, she's making a lot more money being a hooker than she's going to be making it making a, as a tubes dancer. And uh, so because, you know, and at some point you're out of dollars and I'm out of a couple of dollars. Already, <laughs> right. And I thought, OK, well, uh, uh, you know, this is good. This is good lyric material, at least. So I write the lyric and we don't use it. And I don't use it until we get to the second album with David Foster. And, and I originally had it. You can talk to a naked girl. And, and Foster goes, well, you can't say naked. You can't say naked. Uh, why? Because it, it's not good for radio. You can't say naked. You have to change it. So I changed it. You could talk to a pretty girl. So this song was kind of sitting around for a while. You had this experience and, and you wrote about it. Now, do you remember, was the lyric completely written or did you just have a couple lines after this first encounter? I had a couple of verses, but I didn't have a chorus and I didn't have a title. And this was another song I wrote with Steve Lukather and Foster. We wrote Talk to You Later also, because on the album before, on Completion Backward Principle, toward the end of the album, Dave says, you know, we need it. We have a ballad. The record company wants a ballad. Don't want to wait anymore. And we need a an AOR kind of rock song. So let's get together. And he put me together with Steve Lukather. And Lukather and Foster and I wrote Talk to You Later in one afternoon in the studio. And, you know, obviously it's a number one rock hit and on the rock charts. And it's actually it was number one in 17 countries. They never released it as a single in the United States. It was only on the rock chart. And uh, so when we got to Outside Inside, 
Foz says, well, let's do it again. Let's the three of us, let's get together and write. And, and the funny thing is both songs came from, from Umberto uh, uh, and, um, you know, Umberto was a, was a, a, a Chilean guy and he was an engineer, the engineer, and he was a brilliant guy. And we were, do, we were in the studio and we're doing all this kind of tricky stuff. And we kept asking him questions. Well, what does this do? And what does that do? And Umberto would say, uh, talk to you later. Instead of saying, you know, fuck off, you know, I don't ask me, I'm busy. <laughs> he would say, talk to you later, man. Talk to you later. And so that's where I got the title for Talk to You Later. And then for She's a Beauty, Foz used to always say, beauty, eh? I mean, he's Canadian, okay? Uh -huh. He's a Canadian guy. And he's a hoser. And uh, he would always say, oh, beauty, eh? Beauty. <laughs> Let me stop you there real quick. A couple things. You talked about uh, having the lady be maybe a tubes dancer. Man, I went back and watched your videos. I'm telling you, if, if my band had had uh, uh, been around in the 70s with your band and we had met, we would have been fast friends. Our whole our whole trip uh, in the early days was kind of vaudeville, shticky type Andy Kaufman humor and the stuff you guys were pulling. I mean, I know back in the day you would plant audience members. You'd go out and fight them. People thought it was a real fight. You had the pom-pom girl cheerleader go-go dancers on stage. Oh, yeah. uh, backup singers you know you had this whole show steve lukather of course is uh the guitarist for toto uh an amazing amazing talent and david foster uh who you spoke of uh, the canadian producer he's produced everybody from uh, george harrison to chicago peter satara boz skaggs he co-wrote saint elmo's fire with john parr so the level of talent here when you got with these guys oh. and i had no idea that they were behind the song with you and it makes so much sense because i can hear those elements of Toto and Chicago within the track, and it's so cool. Yeah, he uh, when we did Completion Backward with David, David, he had never done a rock album. We were the first rock album he ever did before Chicago, before any of them. And uh, he had just done Boogie Wonderland with Earth, Wind and Fire. And he was an R&B guy. And he, right. had a, he had a little band in Canada called Airplay, and they did mostly R&B kind of stuff you know, cover songs. And, and he had just written after the love is gone, which went to number one. It was kind of a whole new direction for us to do kind of a more popular kind of more poppy songs, more vocal heavy songs, more songs with an R&B kind of groove. Because when we signed with Capitol uh, in 1980, one of the deals was they said, well, you know, you've been with AM now. You've done five albums with AM. You haven't ever had a hit get past top 40. You haven't really sold a lot of records. You haven't really been a, a, a radio kind of uh, presence. And that's what we need. We need, we need you to get on the radio. We need you to sell a lot of records and we'll give you a deal. If you can pull that off, we'll give you a three record deal, but each record has an option. You know, at the end of the first record, it's whether we pick up your option or not, it'll be based on performance. And we went, well, okay. Cause we had no other choices at that time. Nobody wanted to hire us. We were this kind of weird punk band that... Yeah, where did you fit in in 1980? And now the, the 1981, uh, that record, The Completion Backwards Principle, that was your first one with David, and, and that was your first one under Capital. So now you're on the second record, and that option you're talking about, they could have dropped you right then, but right. They, gave you, they gave you the second record, which was Outside Inside, and uh, here you have this top 10 smash. Yeah, they, they did. And so it's funny, you'd think we were under a lot of pressure, but we didn't notice... We were too busy working on the show and art for mm -hmm. art's sake and coming up with <clears throat> new ideas and a new set and, you know, spending every dollar we had on dancers and sets and props and costumes and choreographers. I mean, we had Kenny Ortega at that point. Kenny Ortega had never worked with anybody but, but us. And Kenny Ortega is brilliant. I mean, we had this, we had the, the kind of brilliance in 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 talent surrounding us that was just unbelievable and uh anyway you know like i said we 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 just you know they were going well you better have a hit or no we just went no 
we want to build a gigantic stage set that's round. Okay. <laughs> and that manager would go, round? Yeah. We want these big blue round towers, 10 feet wide and 30 feet high. And on top of them, there'll be spotlights. And inside of them, there'll be my quick change room or the guitar, quick change guitar stage. And uh, and he went, well, you know, round is not going to fit into the truck. Okay. Round doesn't <laughs> fit in the truck very well. You're going to have to have a whole other truck because round doesn't fit together very well. Well, and we went, okay, fuck, we don't care. We get another truck then. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing with you, not at you, right? I'm, I'm, I'm giggling because uh, you remind me so much of the early days of my band. I mean, we never even had a top 40 hit, but we were out there. We had this, uh, you know, rabid fan base. We were doing 1,000 to 1,500 seat rooms, and we were always like, what can we do for the show? You know, the label would be like, you got to do this, you got to do that. It was all about the show for us. That's where we were making money. We weren't making money on our records, but we were putting people in buildings and selling T-shirts and, and merchandise, et cetera. So, uh, I definitely, definitely can relate to that. Um, I want to jump into the song right now. Uh, the song is three minutes and 55 seconds. And, you know, you mentioned the term AOR a little bit ago. And for our listeners that don't know, that stands for Album Oriented Rock. And that was kind of a, a, a one of the big playlists at Top 40 Radio back then. And you guys definitely fall into that category. But I also feel like there was kind of like that post-punk new wave thing going on with this particular track That's that's so awesome. It sounds... It's funny, it, it, it sounds only dated to me because I know when the song came out, but it weirdly sounds fresh still today, the whole production aspect of, of this track. Right off the top, there's a synth right off the top for about five seconds. Then there's these four synth stabs, almost like claps. The clean guitar comes in playing that main riff in A that's so cool. And these big overdriven stereo guitars accent on the G and D chords. At around 15 seconds, some sporadic bass and kick and snare come in before we get into verse one. Step right up and don't be shy because you will not believe your eyes. She's right there behind the glass. You're going to like her because she's got class. <laughs> that was her. That was it. To pay a dollar, talk to a naked girl right there. <laughs> It's unbelievable that that's the the, <laughs> the story behind this, because I often wonder uh, on this show when I talk to people, I, I, I have preconceived notions of what this was about. And I had no idea. You know, you, you, sometimes, you know, songwriters, uh, lyricists have these incredible imaginations and they can paint these stories or just something they made up. And the fact that this is real uh, is awesome. So uh, what's going on here lyrically that maybe you haven't uh, haven't touched on yet? You know, the, the inspiration kind of for the song also was. There was this movie by Todd Browning back in 1939 called Freaks. Did you ever hear of Freaks? No, I have not. Freaks was a movie about a sideshow. It was kind of like, it was kind of reminiscent of this current movie, Nightmare Alley. It was a sideshow. And, you know, there was like the sausage boy and the bearded lady and the chicken woman, which was a chicken with a woman's head and, a, and Slitzy the pinhead. If you see the video, that's why the step right up and don't be shy. He's like a barker at a sideshow carnival. And uh, okay, so we wanted to do this. We were all big fans of this movie. And we wanted to do, we went to, you know, we had just had a hit with the completion backward. And we thought, oh, well, Capital is going to let us do whatever we want. And we went to them with a storyboard about... A, a video that takes place in a seedy sideshow kind of carnival setting. Uh, there was this little funky circus in Southern California. It was called Circus Vargas. And it was like a Ringling Brothers 
on a 10 cent budget, you know? Oh man. And they would tour around Southern California. And we actually contacted, we wanted to set up the video in, you know, in they would winter in some big, you know, big lot somewhere here in Southern California. And we wanted to set up all this stuff and, and do a video in their lot and have like the chicken woman and the sausage boy and all these freaks you know, as part of the video. And we put the whole thing together, this massive Mike Cotton and Prairie and Kenny Ortega and the video for She's a Beauty. And uh, Capital said, no way. <laughs> they said, no, we're not going to let you do that. No, that's that's not going to go down well. We can't have Sausage Boy at MTV, <laughs> okay? Jeez. No. And uh, so we had to scrap the whole thing and come back with this little, you know, the thing that we had, the little, the kid in a little cart going through this, you know, this kind of a, like a sideshow ride. And like the, like the mermaid in the big aquarium, they wouldn't even let her be topless. We, we got this girl with giant breasts. And we went, okay, well, we're going to put a mermaid suit on her and have her tits hanging out. And no, <laughs> can't do that. Sorry, can't do that. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is also, you know, uh, labels were trying to get you on MTV, too. And that was definitely had to be in the back of their minds. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you got MTV was major censorship. They wouldn't let us, you know, they were the, the MTV guy was there going, oh, no, you can't have the, you can't have, we made this big, at the end, the thing crashes through this giant paper screen, right? And on the paper screen was painted a gigantic breast, Right, it's airbrushed that period. They went, no, you can't do that. You can't have a gigantic airbrushed breast that you crash through. I do like that you're the carnival barker uh, in the video and that red jacket. I went back and looked at performances. You still bust out that red jacket and that hat sometimes. But yeah, yeah, when, you, when you play, yeah. when you play, play live, it's super cool. Well, this first verse, uh, the drums and the bass, they come in on verse one over that same intro riff, and there's some really interesting space here and then in in verse one and verse two the the first lyric step right up and don't be shy and there's this what seems like a really long break before you get because you will not believe your eyes step right up and don't be shy because you will not believe your eyes it's really interesting that there wasn't more lyrics or the or, or the vocal didn't come in sooner there do you recall how that happened and and was that something that was always like that yeah, no, it was always like that. That was the way we wrote it with Luke. We did, we wanted that space in there. We wanted him to to uh, be able to have his guitar speak through that kind of part. Well, we, and that was another song. We did the same thing. We got together early in the day. We wrote the song in in two hours. It was done, and that was it. That's incredible. Now, with now those lyrics that you had initially, at this point, when you say you wrote it in two hours musically, how much how much of those lyrics were done at that point? Did you finish them up there? I didn't have all of the chorus, and I had some other lines like naked words that I ended up changing. Well, we're going to talk about that word right now. We're getting into pre-chorus one, and I want to talk about that. The whole feel of the song changes here. I wrote my notes. It's almost like it's another song. The heavy guitars drop out from verse one. This clean arpeggiated guitar with these keyboard pads come in. And the bass here is is singing its own song within this part. The bass playing is just phenomenal. can look inside another world you get to talk to a pretty girl she's everything you dream about and that second line is that pretty where you, where you had naked i guess in there you can talk to a pretty girl right it used to be talk to a naked girl she's everything you dream about right yeah that that's one of the coolest pre-choruses of how like i said it's its own little song there for 10 12 seconds and right at the last line she's everything you dream about there's these vocal swells that take us into chorus one.
those vocal swells are the start of these harmonies on this first line of chorus one, which is just shy of a minute in the song. We're at 57 seconds. Chorus one, but don't fall in love. She's a beauty. She's one in a million girls. She's a beauty. Why would I lie? Why would I lie? And on on the but don't fall in love right off the top, I can hear those Chicago style harmonies. Was there anybody from Chicago singing the backups on that part? Bill Champlin. Oh, wow. Okay. Bill Champlin sang Bill Champlin and Bobby Kimball and our Bill Spooner uh, sang the background vocals on that. Okay. And Bobby Kimball, uh, of course, is the vocalist for Toto at the time. So that's incredible. Right. Right. Yeah, it was Bill Champlin. I mean, at that point, like you said, uh, or like I said, he hadn't produced Chicago yet. This was before the Chicago records and before the, you know, the Peter Cetera stuff. Yeah, this is definitely before Gloria Love, but I thought he had already worked with Chicago. So so this is kind of, uh, you, you almost gave Chicago uh, some of their harmony sounds with this track. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill Champlin, we knew, Bill, Bill Champlin was also from San Francisco. Before he was in Chicago, he was in a band called Clover in San Francisco. With Huey Lewis. Yeah. And, and we knew wow. him from then. We knew, and he was, and and he was in LA and I, I don't I don't remember how it all went down, but we he we knew he this guy's a great singer. So and so we had him come in and sing because they're so hot the parts are so I mean only Bobby Kimball could have sung parts that high. I mean, full voice, you know, because Vince Vin, at that point, Vince, I couldn't sing that high. And of course I'm singing lead, and Bill couldn't sing that high. And Vince used to sing most of our high harmony parts, but a lot of it was falsetto. And David didn't want a falsetto part. He wanted a, a full voice, high screaming screamer part. And Bobby could hit those. And Bobby could do it. What do you want from life? What do you want? Hey, everybody, we got to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. We got a lot more with Fee Bill from the Tubes. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Now, back to the show. Well, talking about that post-punk new wave type thing here in the chorus, when you say don't fall in love, there's this synth whip 
sound that's panned off to the right. right. And there's also this new synth sound that's layered underneath. It's almost, you have to really listen for it, but it's very 80, <laughs> I put my notes, very 80s video game sounding. It's very oh. of the times, but man, without that in there, it just wouldn't be the same song. Yeah, that's Mike Cotton. Mike Cotton was not really a musician. And we had the band, when we put the band together to begin with, you know, he said, well, I want to be in the band. And we said, well, what can you play? And we said, well, he said, well, I, I can't really play anything. And we went, well, you got to be able to play something. He goes, well, no, wait, I'm going to, I'm going to make wacky sounds. Okay. And we went, okay. Yeah, you can make wacky sounds. So he went out and got this, this synth, uh, early synth, it was called an ARP 2600. Yeah, wow. It was this big wall of wires and, and XLR holes and, and sliding, you know, and he could make all these. He would, and so he figured out how to make all these sounds. And he, did, you know, this was way before Korg. Those things look like old uh, telephone operators patch bays. Exactly. Huge. Exactly. <laughs> big, hunky thing, you know, analog and, and sliding, you know, faders that you would slide and, and play with. And then wires everywhere. And we had no idea, you know, what how to work one of those things. But he figured it out. And he came up with all this. And he goes, well, I can make all these sounds. And we went, okay, great. Then you're in the band. I was going to say, I'm so glad you gave him his chance because I can't imagine this song without those sounds. Again, this is this is a slice of album-oriented rock. It's a rock tune, but it's got these elements of, again, I'm saying post-punk new wave with the synths here. Am I also hearing some bongos or, or, or maybe a, a woodblock percussion in this chorus? Could have been Prairie Prince on drums. I don't think Mingo Lewis was in the band by that time. He had branched off and wanted to do his own thing. Uh, but that's all Prairie, woodblocks, cowbell. It's also something that like uh, you hear on a lot of Toto records and and uh, where it's mixed in here, it, it's really perfect. I wrote here and I got to say this. I can't I can't state this enough. I love where the bass guitar doesn't play in the chorus. Man, those pockets are awesome where the bass isn't and i feel that they're just crucial to the feel of this part do you recall that taking place was that did david foster say hey leave this empty or or was that just the way they were recorded i i don't really remember but i think and it was all orchestrated by foster he had the orchestration of the thing from beginning to end it wasn't like we played a bunch of shit and then he said oh no we'll take that out no that's the way he orchestrated it yeah, where, where those holes are, though, those empty pockets in this chorus of the bass, it's just, it is so good. And the bass tone and where the bass sits in the mix is is absolutely killer here. The backing harmonies are on the line, but don't fall in love. She's one in a million, and why would I lie? And those harmonies, again, I just, I hear that Chicago uh, Toto, the, those harmonies are just are just so good. We come out of that into an eight-bar reintro with the bass and drums doing this breakdown feel uh, with those accompanying uh, guitars. Then we're immediately into verse two. You can say anything you like, but you can't touch the merchandise. She'll give you every penny's worth, but it will cost you. You can say anything you like, but you can't touch the merchandise. That's that window coming back up. Yeah. Uh, she'll give you every penny's worth, but it will cost you a dollar first. first. <laughs> a dollar talk to a naked girl. That's where it all came from. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing you walk around. And for those listeners that haven't been to the Tenderloin, if you ever go down there, be careful. Uh, it's an interesting. It was it, it was named the Tenderloin. It used to be the meat packing district down there. All a bunch of meat packing factories. I don't know if they're still down there or or empty or. Uh, apartments or whatever now but uh interesting area uh pre-chorus too you can step 
I love pre-chorus too because the song's building here. You can step outside your little world. Right prior to that, there's these ah vocal swells that come up there. You can step outside your little world and then the backing vocal, step outside your world. You can talk to a pretty girl and there's some ah vocal swells after that. And she's everything you dream about. And then those ah vocal swells come back again to take us into chorus number two. Chorus number two is a double chorus, but it's interesting. It's not just a, a double of the same part. We get the same exact first half like chorus one, but I did notice something, and this these are the days of analog fee, so this wasn't like you're going to be copying, pasting, and Pro Tools right, computers. Right. The whip, the whip sound here is different on chorus two. I've sung it so many times and listened to it so many times, but I never really, you know, examined it this deep. I doubt I would pay attention to the whip in my song either, Fee. I'm not judging you. I'm just pointing out, pointing out that the whip is different here. And I thought that was really, I thought that was neat. Yeah. Mike used to try to, he, he would come up with all these sounds. Well, how you, what about this? And he would play a sound and well, what about this? And he would play that. And Foz would just sit there and go, okay, okay. Oh no, I like that. Do that one. And again, what people have to remember, when I'm talking analog, this was all going down to tape. So when these synth noises and all this stuff, it had to be in time. He had to hit it right then. It was, you know, you had to know what you were doing. So uh, he he may have seemed like a, a newbie with this big synthesizer he was rolling into the studio, but he, he obviously knew what he was doing. Yeah. Oh, well, I think by that time, you know, he had had that ARP 2600 for, you know, it was, it was probably already fallen apart and put back together 10 times by then because it didn't travel very well it didn't if you stuck it in a truck you know when he pulled it out at the next gig something was wrong something was broken constantly it's funny quick story we we when we went out in 79 when we went out with the remote control tour we bought these five tv monitors big 25 inch box monitors and we had we used to have a video guy, TJ McCose, and we had all this video, uh, you know, that we pre-recorded and we would play on the on the TVs during the set. And we had stuff like pre-recorded where, like, in the middle of, you know, I would be doing Cowboy Fee and Quaalude would come on the video going, "What the fuck, man? Who the fuck is this cowboy? Get him off the stage!" And you know, and I would talk to the video, and the video would talk to me. We had all this kind of video interaction stuff going, but we didn't. You know, we bought the five TVs, but we didn't spend the money for the elaborate cases to put them in. Ah. So you'd stack five TVs in a truck, and when you get to the next gig, well, something was broken. The TV was broken. The plug was broken. This whatever, and by the end of the tour. All of the TVs were broken and all they, they wouldn't play video anymore. And it was all just static. Every TV had just static on it. And the funny, the hilarious thing is the people who reviewed the show went, oh, this is so perfect, you know, showing the, you know, the illegitimacy of TV. They've got static on all their TVs, you know, <laughs> as if we planned it. You know, as this, this was on purpose. All you planned was that you were on a shoestring budget. You couldn't afford uh, cases for these, but it ended up uh, people thinking that it's part of your show, and that 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 is great. This chorus, what I'm saying, the double chorus, I love the back half of it, Fee, because it uh, comes back in with those backing vocals, but don't fall in love, another whip sound. And this next line, it's almost got like kind of an R&B kind of delivery to it, the way you say, because if you do, you find out she don't love you. Right. And then we get into the guitar solo and the back half of this song from this point out is so cool to me because the solo is still 
over that main riff, the verse riff with those guitars in the key of A. Uh-huh. And when it comes out of that and it goes to what I'm calling the bridge part breakdown that we're going to get to in a moment, that's pretty much a reworking of the pre-chorus, that part where it goes to chord wise. Uh-huh. And then the modulation part happens at the end that takes us to the key of A, which is your verse keys. But you've actually went up because all the other choruses are in G. So you've went up a whole step in a key, but you don't hear the key change. That's what's brilliant about it. I I knew it was there. I could hear your voice was higher, but I'm like, how did they get there? And when I got the guitar out and broke it down, what a cool transition. And we'll get to that in a second. The solo's eight bars. Uh, Did Steve Lukather play this guitar solo? Yes, he did. I love this solo, Fee, and I'll tell you, this solo, it's more hard rock or mellow than it is a pop solo. It's got a pretty rough edge there. Did David Foster or anybody think it was a little too uh, tough for this song? No, I think pretty much whatever Luke did, David loved. Okay. He could do whatever he wanted. I love the solo. I wouldn't change a thing about it, but it is it is pretty raucous for what's going on here. It works perfectly. I mean, that was a one-take solo. Like you said, it's analog. You can't you couldn't punch in a a repair line in the middle of that. That was one take. And the modulation is very David Foster. He did that to a lot of songs that he produced with us. He always used to say, it has to pay off. The song has to pay off. It has to have a big chorus out, a big payoff at the end. You've got to, you know, you've got to come. Okay. It's got to pay off. And a lot of (laughs) times the way that he would get to that was a modulation. A lot of times in a lot of our songs, there's modulations. Looking back on his discography, uh, they all have it. Uh, Gloria Love, Hard to Say I'm Sorry by Chicago, St. Elmo's Fire. They got all those. I can totally, totally hear that now. And it's it's so good. Um, we get into uh, an eight-bar bridge. It's pretty much an instrumental part, except on the third measure of this, you just say one time, step outside your world. The bass notes here in this bridge part, they almost sound like the the bass, I'm saying bass notes, the bass part, was that played on keys or foot pedals? I I don't think so. Okay, it's still the bass there because it it almost sounds like maybe it's the bass with something else. It sounds like there's some, uh, you know, uh, keyboard foot pedals. It it just gets, it gets bigger and it has almost like a slightly warbled sound like it would have come from a keyboard there, but it's it's, it's awesome. That one line, step outside your world, was a line that, that wasn't originally in the song, that wasn't written by Steve or David or anything. And we, I was singing the song in the studio. And when that came, it just kind of came to me. I said, you know, step outside your world. I just kind of came up with that on my own and stuck it in the, in the vocal. And Foz went, that's pretty cool. That works. Yeah, let's leave that in. Right. And it's, it's a little bit of an odd lyric in the sense that it's not the main hook of the song. It's not like you, you, know, you could have said one in a million girls there or she's a beauty again and got that lyric in there. The step outside your world. Do you recall now? Because that is a call and response from pre-chorus two. you say you can step outside your little world and the backing vocals step outside your world. So was that an afterthought after you had thought about it for the bridge? Do you recall? Yeah, well, I don't I don't recall. No. It just came to me and I sang it and it fit in that part. But the producer liked it. And and at that point, you had a trusting relationship with him. You you knew the guy knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. and you kept it. That's great. Um, the keyboard's doing another new pattern here. It almost sounds like pan flutes to start. But as it goes on, it gets more 80s video game sounding as the part happens. And then right on the seventh measure, this big drum hit happens and that chord modulation happens. And now we're in the key of A. Mm-hmm. 
today. We went up a whole step. We're up higher. The verses were all in A. So again, the way this song's constructed, you just don't hear. It's a genius key change. Yeah, Foster. That was Foster. So good, and you're and you're hitting some notes there, buddy. At the end, there there's some high, there's some high notes. Oh no, God, I know. <laughs> we don't think about that when we're in our twenties, do we? I really. I, and and we still do the song in the same key. I know you do. Props to you for that. I still I still do it and. But I remember at rehearsal the other day, I can't remember what song it was. And I was going, God, this is so fucking high. I can't believe it. And I always just, I always used to say in interviews, oh, we never change the key. We never lower the key. And I am so grateful. My voice is really still strong. You sound awesome. I, I saw, The most recent video I saw you was from 2019 and it, and it was great. But we're, you know, and I'm, we're sitting there in the studio and I, I can't remember what song we were trying to sing. Uh, no, not again. I think was the song, the second song on Outside Inside. No, not again. And I'm trying to sing it at practice, and Prairie goes, "Dude, relax, okay." You don't have to sing that. You were 30 years old then. Let's drop it down a half step, okay? I said, yeah, but I always say that that we never change the keys. Yeah, well, don't say that anymore, okay? Uh -huh. Okay, go ahead, change it. I need you to talk to our bass player because that's been his running thing for years. We we play in the same key. I'm like, yeah, I know. I can feel it every night. Yeah. <laughs> it it's it, it's funny. You don't you don't think about those things as as a younger musician. Chorus three is another double chorus, same as chorus two. But there is some cool things I want to point out here before we wrap up. The but don't fall in love. The very first lyric with the, those harmonies on chorus three. There is a whip followed by a new sound. A The song is still building. The now, why would I lie at the end of the first half of chorus three? The melody changes there again. I love what you do there. On the second half here, but don't fall in love, the whip and the caca happen. And as the caca sound is happening, there is a whistle, a human whistle panned off to the left. Who whistled there? I think I don't think that was a real whistle. I think that was more Mike. I don't remember whistling there. It sounds like a, like a, a quick whistle happened and kind of panned off to the left. There was no human whistling, I don't believe. What? It was only 40 years ago. I know, Fee, you don't remember if there was a whistle there? Jeez. Yes. Um, <laughs> we get to the end here. The song starts to fade. You get two more lines, but don't fall in love. She's one in a million girl. And then on the very end fade, you hear a why would I lie? It's the last lyric heard here at the very end of the fade out. And uh, the video game keyboard noises almost sound like hip hop record scratching here at the very end. <laughs> You guys were ahead of your time there. It almost has that that scratching sound there as it, as it fades out here and just such a cool production. Well, thank you. I mean, it was actually that was the song that when we were doing She's Beauty, I can't remember if we were doing background vocals or some guitar part or something, but that was the song that I met Richard Marks in. Richard had written a song for Lionel Richie and he came out from Chicago to watch him record it. And while he was there, he said, I really would like to meet David Foster. And 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 Lionel said, well, he's just right down the street at the lion's chair doing the tunes right now. And and so he, he set it up for him, for Richard to come by the studio. And uh, he was sitting in the back of the studio when we were recording that. And at the end of the day, he, you know, he met Foz and, and he came up to me and he said, you know, I really like your lyrics, man. You, would you write a song with me? And I said, who are you? He goes, oh, I'm Richard Marks. I'm just a kid from Chicago. And and this was a this was about four years before he hit. Oh, yeah, so he yeah. Was still a kid. He, he, yeah. At that point, this was yeah. this was 83. He didn't have a deal. And he was just yeah. writing songs to try to place with other people. And he had done he wrote a Kenny Rogers song and he wrote a Lionel Richie song. And he said, Would you would you write a song with me? And I said, Yeah, okay. And so we wrote a song. 
And, you know, here we are 39 years later, we're still best friends. And uh, in fact, I was just out to see him on last Thursday and we went for a big hike and had lunch and he played me, he's, he's got a new record coming out. He played me his new record and, uh, and I've been writing lyrics with him for, you know, whatever, 35 years. Well, that's so cool. I want to talk about this real quick. So you've released three solo albums. Your first one was in 1984 called Read My Lips, followed by 1996's Don't Be Scared by These Hands. And most recently, uh, Fee Waybill Rides Again from 2020. And that's when you worked with Richard Marks. Uh, you have produced songs for a number of artists, uh, including Richard. Um, want to talk a little bit about uh, your summer tour you have coming up starting June 16th in Solana Beach, California at the Belly Up. Killer venue. I love that place. Place. Oh, yeah. uh, and it continues all the way through August 14th, uh, wrapping up in Billings, Montana. I want to thank you for sitting in with us today and uh, breaking down She's a Beauty. It's been a lot of fun, man. Thank you. Man, that's incredible that you're, you did such a massive background job on all that stuff. You know, I haven't heard, I haven't talked about all that stuff for years. That's great. That was really great. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Do you enjoy the content and production of Krista Makes a Podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast? or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your best song via MP3 only and bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Fernway, an alternative rock band from Buffalo, New York, consisting of brothers RJ DeMarco on vocals and guitar, Tanner DeMarco on drums, along with Brett Robertson on guitar, Alex Dube on the bass, and Jonah West on guitar. Their music can be found on all the streaming platforms. Here's a snippet of their song, Compass Free. Rap with Chris and Chris. So, Chris, as you did your research on the tubes and fee in preparation for this episode, did you start feeling more and more of a camaraderie with this guy before you even met him? Oh, I get him immediately. I mean, they they were out there. You got to think back then too. Your 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 contact with record labels. It was if you got to a payphone or if a record label exec show up to the show. These guys were out on the road. They they were out there putting on these crazy productions on a shoestring budget. They like I said, go back and look at their videos from back then. They had these you know the, these dancers with pom poms. They they were out of their, their their dance steps weren't great. Their singing was off. It didn't matter. It was the vaudeville. Uh, aspect of it that uh, that that's what I built a, a career on early on it was all those all those fun little elements and uh, yeah researching him a very very 
interesting band uh went back that record of uh, the completion backwards principle the one before this i went and listed some tracks on that and i just you know they they were right there i feel like they could have been been way more massive than they were in my research of this when i was getting notes together to send you yes i did even to myself be like wow these guys remind me of like less than jake they're you know <laughs> thinking about their stage show he said it when you're talking about him he I thought this was really cool, and I totally believe him, too, that they didn't feel the pressure of writing the next album. They were thinking about their live show. <laughs> they were thinking about how to take that to the next level, and you didn't get too much into that Kenny Ortega guy either, but believe me, Google Kenny Ortega and all the stuff that guy worked on. Even I think he's involved in like the high school musical stuff now. Mm -hmm. I think he's just been such a, as far as like the visual aspect of music and in in the production aspect of things go i think he's a really big name and the people that came together to create this song between david foster and um oh uh lukather yeah uh, steve lukather from toto just those those two guys alone and i didn't know that bobby kimball uh vocalist for toto back in the day that sang on all those big hits rosanna uh, Africa that he did the backing vocals here and I can totally hear it now and it's interesting I thought David had already worked with Chicago at this point but Chicago came after this this preceded that and the fact uh, that you can really hear those Chicago layered harmonies here is, is really awesome and you know to, to Fee's point earlier you know when he was talking about you know kind of being oblivious to the label you only feel the pressure of having a hit when you've had a hit oh right. now we got to follow this up but they hadn't really had a hit for their first five records. They got a, they got a new label deal, and the label's saying, hey, we got record options here. We could drop you at any point. But it's like, whatever, I'm worried about my stage show. I'm, I'm looking for the next person to do backflips on stage. That was their thing the whole time, and it really seems like they had a cult following. And Chris, I had this in the notes. I know you couldn't get into the entire backstory of the tubes because it there's a lot of stuff there. It would have been yes. a two-hour-long episode if you would have got into the entire backstory. But an important thing to note, and this relates back to the live show of the tubes is that about five or six years prior to she's a beauty becoming this massive hit they may have had a chance to have you know at least a lot more exposure whether that would have led to another song being a massive hit or not it you know is in question but they had a chance to play on like the early years of saturday night live and some other like late night shows but their management at the time didn't want them to go on there and just play one song because they were like, no, the tubes, we want them to play a bunch of songs in a row because the transitions between the songs are so, you know, impressive. And it's such a big part of the show. And they didn't want to just go play one song on one of these shows. So th that ended up not happening. And then it was, I guess it was inevitable that these guys were going to have hits. They had a cult following and they had the surrounded themselves with the right people, the right producer and, I don't know. To me, that's that's impressive. They like stuck to their guns and yeah. one way or another, these guys were going to have a hit. I think to have, uh, you know, that restraint and, and, and that integrity as a band back then uh, is, mm -hmm. is, is very impressive. The fact that they were able to say, you know what, this doesn't fully represent who we are as a band. Uh, we're we're going to go over here and do this thing, which, again, like as you mentioned, it took another five or six years before She's a Beauty was a thing. But what a cool song. You know, I had mentioned to, to Fee a couple times that, yeah, it's a rock song, but where do you stick these guys in with everything that was happening in the early 80s? They, they, were, they were harder than the cars. You know, they weren't as new wavy as maybe the cars, but they weren't as hard rock as, as, as some of the, the other acts that were happening in the, in the early. They kind of had their own space. They had a punk rock background and they didn't limit themselves to that sort of style. They were seemed like they were open to whatever. This is very much like a pop rock song. But then if you look into the catalog, there's all kinds of styles. I think the production of this song is really cool. This song rocks to me when I hear it. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's timeless in that aspect. And let's not forget uh, producer David Foster's uh, <laughs> his resume. As I mentioned, you know, everyone from George Harrison to Chicago, Peter Cetera, Boz Skaggs. Uh, he co-wrote Saint Elmo's Fire. Um, I mean, this guy, you know, he he kind of knew what he was doing. Went on and did all those those Chicago records were just massive. Yeah. Um, and uh, to go back and listen, I never would have thought and and and. Yeah, again, thankful for this podcast. I never would have ever thought I've heard this song tons of times, but I never would have put the Toto uh, Chicago <laughs> connection together. And now I can hear it all through the track every time I listen to it. I'm like, oh, there's the Toto part. Ooh, there's the Chicago harmonies. It's great. 
Would you have thought that it was a song about a girl in a window at a <laughs> whatever at a strip club or peep show or whatever that is? No, not at all. And that's uh, yeah, you. <laughs> I've never seen a booth like that. I've I've heard of peep shows, but not outside to lure the customer in. Uh, that was right. uh, must have been must have been something in in the wacky seventies. And uh, the fact that he was just so candid about it, and he's it's just that's what the story was. There's nothing else. How else how else can he be but but candid with it and. Uh, uh, yeah, I did, it was a total left turn of, of uh, where I thought these lyrics. Again, I, this could have been just somebody writing a story, a, a lyric that they just came up with. But uh, the fact that it was based on uh, something true is, is, is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, now when you read the lyrics, it seems obvious. Now you can't you can't even hear it some other way now. Now that you know the story, like it all every line seems to go right along with that. It certainly does, and I just like the fact that uh, he, he just seems like. You know, at this point in their career, they they were a working band. They were out there. I, I'm going back to the fact that they just they already had this fan base. As as I mentioned, you know, they they were making money selling concert tickets and T-shirts. And if they had a hit, they had a hit. You know, and and it happened for them, which is uh, which is great. And maybe if they they tried harder for a hit, it wouldn't have happened. Well, dude, another thing, keep in mind, all this stuff, the visual aspect, the live show aspect. At what MTV started in what 81 or 82? 81. 81. Well, that's like right around the time they had this hit. This hits 1982, right? It came out on April 4th, 83. So yeah. Oh, 83. Okay. But all this pre that 1975 on, that's all pre MTV. And they're already thinking so much about the visual part of it. Whereas a lot of artists aren't, they're just thinking about the audio part of it. So that's cool. They were thinking about the whole thing. Yeah, they were totally ahead of their time in that aspect. And speaking of being uh, totally ahead of your time, Chris, I think that uh, our listeners need to be ahead of their time and get on those five-star reviews. <laughs> yeah, help us. Uh, uh, how can I? <laughs> you can't do anything with that because that was the worst setup that we've had so far. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was so confusing. <laughs> help us. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, but the point is, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, once again, Chris, I'd assume if someone has listened this far into the podcast, they're probably enjoying it. I don't think they're hate listening for this long. Probably. And if you didn't like that setup, I'll, I'll give you a pass this week. You don't have to leave a five-star review or, or anything at all because it was a terrible setup. But we'd really appreciate it. And if you haven't uh, already, join our Facebook group. We, Dude, we just hit 4,000 members, Chris. I'm very proud of that. Right. I mean, I guess once you're 100-plus episodes in that, you know, Things are, we're on easy street now, man. We're just rolling with the episodes. People are joining a Facebook group, leaving us five-star reviews all over the place. Maybe some people are listening might even join our supporting cast. That's right. You can go to kristamakes.com and for a few bucks a month, you'll get a bonus episode every week. You can be on Defeat the Makes. There's lots of reasons to join, but the most important reason is you'll support the podcast that you love. I mean our podcast. <laughs> That's right. And if you haven't already, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Christy. Want to thank this week's guest, Fee Wable, for sitting in with us, and we'll see you next week. Hey everybody, this is Chris Demakes a podcast producer Chris Fafalius here. I think you like this podcast, so I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to subscribe to a podcast called A Band Called Punchline. Don't know the band Punchline? Well, it's my band, and we've been a band for 25 years. The podcast is a documentary-style look into our story, and it doesn't even matter whether you've heard us before. I promise, the story is that good and that weird. It starts out as a few friends playing music in a garage, but where it goes is wild, I promise. It's like the most relatable behind the music of all time, because we never actually had a hit song, yet. But the things we experienced along the way makes this podcast like Forrest Gump meets Almost Famous. So yeah, it would mean the world to me if you searched for a band called Punchline wherever you get your podcasts. And let us take you on a crazy ride back through time leading right into today, our 25th year of being a band. Hey, maybe you even have a new favorite band by the time it's all done. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Just subscribe to it, goddammit. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. 
For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.